Okay, welcome to our latest edition of the Audio Appendix podcast here at Third Church. I'm Becca Payne, your resident communications director, and I am joined this morning by Corey Widmer, your lead pastor. Hey, Corey. Hello. We are talking today about, um, well, let me back up. We, we do this podcast when uh, we feel like we kind of brush by a topic on a Sunday morning and want to go deeper, explore it further, or just kind of draw out that conversation. Um, we may have some follow-up questions, anything like that. So today we are dedicating this podcast to something that Corey touched on this past week when he started talking about heaven and what we think about heaven and how that impacts how we view our present moment here on earth. Um, so I think some of us, as we were listening to your sermon this past week, if you haven't listened to it, please go back and listen to it. I think it would help this conversation a lot, um, give you some context. But that sermon brought up some questions and maybe some misconceptions that some of us have held for a long time about what heaven is um, and how we are approaching it, how we're thinking about it, and how it impacts our present moment. So we felt like it warranted this follow-up conversation. Um, so I will be asking some questions. They are true questions of mine um, and hopefully represent some of your own questions too. Um, and Corey can help kind of guide us through this. But one question I have before we get into this, uh, can you define eschatology? You kind of throw <laughs> that term out very yes. casually. And I think a lot of us are like, say what? Yes, eschatology. Esch- es- eschaton. Uh, is a word that means last things. So eschatology simply is the theology of the last things. So anything that pertains to what happens in the end, what happens um, at the end of all things, whether it's the end of your life, what happens after you die, or what happens at the end of history. Um, this is something that is uh, Christians have talked about for years and years and years because there's so much in the Bible that refers to the end. But this is also obviously a really popular idea in our culture today. Just look at all the apocalyptic movies out there. Yeah, um, true. So yeah, that's okay. what it means. Great. That is very helpful. Good place to start our conversation. Um, so this past Sunday, you made the remark, our hope is not heaven, our hope is resurrection. Um, that may have caught some people off guard or surprised them. What do you mean by that? Yeah, I, um, I'm really grateful to be able to delve into this further. And I, I do also want to say that um, I, I don't, I certainly am learning a lot about <laughs> this myself. I don't have all the answers and I've learned a lot about this and I'm continuing to learn. Um, but what I meant when I said that our hope as Christians is not heaven, but resurrection um, is this, that when you read the New Testament really carefully, I think what you realize is that it talks a lot about heaven, uh, but it primarily talks about heaven as the place where God dwells. Um, it's the place of uh, the realm of God, almost like the dimension where God reigns. Um, and it's the place where Jesus now sits at the right hand of the Father. It's the place where our salvation is stored up and secured. And it is the realm from which Jesus will come when he comes again at his second return. Um, but rarely in the New Testament is heaven talked about as a place where we go when we die. Hmm. Um, instead, the Christian hope is that Jesus, the one who reigns over heaven and earth, will come from heaven and he will redeem creation, which includes the resurrection of our physical bodies. Um, and so the Christian hope 
uh, is not this disembodied place where we will float around with angel wings and harps and uh, in the cloud somewhere, but the, the Christian hope, uh, what we are truly hoping for uh, is the resurrection of our bodies, just like Jesus rose from the dead with a new body. And not only the resurrection of our bodies, but the resurrection of all creation. Like it says in Romans 8, all creation will, will be liberated from its decay um, as it participates in the salvation of the sons of God. So that's what I meant. Our hope is resurrection. Mm. Yeah. So I definitely was functioning under a lot of, I would say, nice colloquialisms about heaven being this ethereal place where mm-hmm. I can go and yeah. float around and, you know, that's the final step. Right. Um, that's right. kind of how I have been uh, seeing it, I guess, most of my life. Um, but how did we, so how did I, how did I get there? How did a lot of us get there? How did we kind of come to think of heaven as this disembodied Mm -hmm. place and not what you're saying as, um, the, the place where God dwells, where, um, we'll actually come to earth as well. Right. Right. Um, well, let me, I mean, there's a lot of reasons. Let me just mention two, I think, one a more historical reason and another a much more modern reason. Um, the first is is something that Christians have always battled with, and that's what I, I, um, I would call Greek dualism. So Greek philosophy uh, that, was a, that was the pervasive worldview in the time when the New Testament was birthed um, really held to the idea that the material creation um, and that the earth itself and the, the human body Um, are a hindrance to true spirituality and enlightenment, um, and that the truly mature and spiritual person um, seeks to rise above their material bodies and the Mm. material earth, and that, you know, the ultimate place of spiritual enlightenment is when you can get beyond the body um, to the place of the pure mind or the pure soul. Um, And so that way of thinking, which is often called dualism, where the body is bad, the soul is good, um, the earth is bad, uh, the spiritual plane is good. That dualism deeply affected and um, influenced Christian theology from the very beginning. And you can see, even in the New Testament, that Paul himself was deeply fighting against Greek dualism. In fact, in our text this week, I didn't really have time to go into this, but in 1 Corinthians 15, it was clearly Greek dualism that had deeply affected the Corinthians mm. because they had this idea of basically super spirituality, that, that super spirituality was getting beyond the body. Um, they didn't have a problem with the idea of resurrection, but they interpreted resurrection as being like the resurrection of the soul, that mm-hmm. the soul would go to a place of, mm-hmm. um, of release and spiritual nirvana. What they thought, what they were really... Um, opposed to was Paul's idea of the physical resurrection of the body because they thought the body was gross. Mm. They thought, why would, why would God want to resurrect our, our gross bodies? Mm -hmm. You know, and they thought that was just absurd. So, um, that's really the first reason. And that has, I think, deeply affected the way that the Western world thinks about the afterlife. Mm. So that's why like in our cartoons and our Hallmark greeting cards, you know, in, um, movies, you know, heaven is this ethereal place that is other than the world because Greek philosophy has so influenced the Western worldview. Yeah. Is that, is that, does that yeah. make sense? Yeah. yeah. And I think like even in our last podcast, we were talking about reclaiming um, the goodness of our bodies and yes. how that yes. is a very countercultural thing. I think that gets to what you're saying here too. Yeah. yeah. In and fact, it's very pervasive. Both in Western, Western uh, philosophy, like in the Greek thought and also in Eastern philosophy, Mm. There is this resistance yes. to the body, mm-hmm. this resistance to the material creation. And so it's really a powerfully and very unique thing that the Bible 
sees creation and embodiment as so, so good, sees our bodies mm -hmm. as so good, sees creation as so good, sees the earth as mm -hmm. so good. And that's something that um, has been lost by a lot of Christians that I think we really need to reclaim. Yeah. And there's more to this too, Yeah, right? <laughs> Yeah. So, so, so there, this anti-materiality within the Christian community was really intensified in the 19th and 20th century because of a very, very significant theological movement that developed in the 19th century that I want to talk about in just a few minutes, and that is the rise of uh, pre, what's called premillennial dispensationalism. Mm, it's so, mouthful. Yeah, premillennial dispensationalism. <laughs> so there was a there was an Anglican pastor in 19th century England named John Nelson Darby, um, and he broke away from the Anglican Church and started something called the Plymouth Brethren. Um, and it was Darby who invented this new theology called dispensationalism, um, and it was Darby who came up with the idea and actually coined the term um, rapture. Rapture. That was uh, that. That word is never used in the New Testament. Um, it was mm -hmm. never before used or even talked or taught about in any theologian prior to Darby. Um, and basically, dispensationalism is the idea that we are now in a new dispensation of time, um, and that what will happen in the world is that things will get worse and worse and worse and worse, um, and all of this is leading up to this moment of rapture. When Christ will, will come, he will descend from the clouds. He will never actually touch down to earth. He will sort of descend from the clouds and then rapture up mm. out of the earth all of the true believers, leaving behind apostate Christians and non-believers who will endure this you know, seven-year tribulation and then this age will come that's called the millennium. Um, now, let me just again reiterate this was brand new theology. Yeah. All the great theologians yeah. of the church from the early church fathers to John Calvin to Martin Luther to mm. John Wesley, um, none of them had ever taught anything like this before. But this became um, a very popular theology. Mm -hmm. And then in the, in the late 19th century and early 20th century, there was a guy named Schofield who popularized uh, this theology through what's called the Schofield Reference Bible, which is still one of the most um, best-selling Mm. versions of the Bible in the world today, wow. and it interprets everything in the New Testament through this lens of dispensationalism. Um, and so that became this very, very popular understanding of uh, the last things um, in America, especially. And then, oh my goodness, in like the <laughs> 90s, was it the 90s that the Left Behind series came out? I think so. I think so. it was the late 90s. Late 90s. Um, there were these two dispensationalists named Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins. And they wrote this fiction book, which went to, to sell, I think, over 100 million copies, um, that fictionalized um, what would happen if this rapture theology was actually true. You know, like, mm. you know, people right. disappearing from cars right. and cars crashing into, you know, stores and that sort of thing. So um, essentially, this new theology that is really barely 100 years old became so deeply popularized to the extent that it has become the normative way that the majority of American Christians, especially American evangelicals, think about what will happen at the end. Mm. Um, and uh, in fact, a lot of people don't even know that there is another way to think about eschatology yeah. Yeah. <laughs> other than premillennial dispensationalism. Yeah. I mean, I think I'm struck that this is so new, because um, if, if you were born in the 20th century, you, this is the pervasive thought. Right. And so there wasn't necessarily an alternative um, provided yeah. In, in my mind. Yeah. Um, and those left behind books were, 
they were a big hit. <laughs> Indeed. I mean, and I, you know, Kirk, didn't Kirk Cameron, Kirk Cameron steal, star yep. in a movie? Yep. And yeah, he sure did. Dude, man, that was, yeah, that's pretty intense. You get Kirk Cameron. Yeah. And I think, I think the problem is when you start talking about the book of Revelation, it is very confusing. It's, yeah. it's kind of overwhelming. It's scary. And, um, you don't necessarily know how to be approaching it, how to be interpreting it. Um, yes. so, I guess my question to you is like, so what is the, what is your view or your view? Yeah. Um, how, how do you approach yeah. the scriptures and um, yeah. think about? And, and, and I do want to um, emphasize that this is what we would call an adiaphora of the faith. Adiaphora is a Latin word that means secondary thing. So, mm. you know, this is not what you mm. believe about the last things, what you believe about eschatology um, is not central to the faith and Christians who are all Bible believing and who are equally committed to the to submitting to the authority of scripture, come up with different um, different interpretations of these things. And so um, you can be a premillennialist and be a Christian. You can be a postmillennialist or an amillennialist. I'll explain what those things yeah. mean. Yeah. But um, you can, you know, there's these are, these are things that are not central to the faith. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's probably folks in our church who believe all three of those views or mm-hmm. lots of different things, and that's mm-hmm. cool. So, but personally, um, well, let me just say it's the common ways to interpret the book yeah. of Revelation, which is really the heart of where this eschatological um, interpretations emerge. Um, one one way to interpret the book of Revelation is the historicist or preterist view, mm-hmm. um, and that's basically to see most of the events in the book of Revelation as having, having uh, been grounded in actual historical facts that John was trying to interpret the things that were happening at the time, especially with the Roman Empire. Um, and so that basically the book of Revelation has nothing to say about our current time or the future. It all already sort of was John trying to use very imaginative language to describe what was happening in his current sociopolitical moment. Mm. So that's the historicist view. Um, the futurist view, which is also what I just described earlier that was popularized by Darby, is that everything in the book of Revelation is about the future, um, that it has really nothing to say at all about our present moment. The current, the last 2,000 years were pretty much irrelevant to the book of Revelation, mm-hmm. but that everything is about what will happen at some point in the future. And there will all these be these like consecutive events that happen um, that uh, are all sort of hidden in various secrets that are locked up in the book. And you want to sort of interpret the signs of the times uh, because we're all anticipating these events that will one day happen. Um, Personally, I um, am a historist, I mean, a parallelist, Mm. uh, which is what the majority of centrist Orthodox Christians have believed, what John Calvin taught, what Luther, Mm. what, you know, sort of the fathers of the Reform movement taught. And that is that the book of Revelation is a creative retelling, a recapitulation of the story of the church between the first and second comings of Christ. So as soon as Jesus ascended, um, we are in the last times. Mm. The last times are the time between the moment that Jesus ascended and what's called the parousia, which is his second coming. And the book of Revelation is telling the same story of Jesus, his kingdom, and the battle with the forces of darkness in various ways over and over again, all of those stories which end and conclude with judgment and salvation. Mm. Um, And... It's actually, if you if you see the book of Revelation that way, it is one of the most amazing books Christologically because it is showing all of these. In fact, my mentor, John Stott, wrote a book called The Incomparable Christ, a quarter of it, which was about the book of Revelation. And he said, no other book portrays Jesus with so many different 
creative portraits. Mm. Um, he is the lion. He is the lamb. Mm -hmm. He is the bride. He is the warrior. He, you know, he, we see it is John telling the story of history in multiple different ways, displaying Jesus in all of these creative portraits, so that we mm. are are in awe more and more of the Lord that He is. Um, so. Personally, that's my view, that, the, that we are living in the last times, and Christians have been um, since Jesus ascended, mm. um, and that we are awaiting for his return. And on that day, uh, he will raise the dead, he will restore creation, uh, and, he will, and heaven and earth will be merged, and he will reign over all things. So, wow, that's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Um, just to go back real quick, you also mentioned these terms like premillennialism. Yeah. Post well, how did those match up? Is yeah, that so like those, the historic those, future sort parallel? Sort of. So, so then there's also views to interpret the millennium that is talked about in the book of Revelation. So postmillennialists believe that, um, kind of the opposite of premillennialists, they believe that history will get better. There will be an age of the millennium where history will get better and better and better and better, and then Jesus will come at the end of that. Premillennialists believe that there will be a rapture, uh, a tribulation, and then there will be this millennium reign of Christ. Although there's also post-tribulation premillennialists and pre-trib. <laughs> so anyway, that <laughs> and then amillennialists, which is also parallels with the parallelist view of, of interpretation, sort of views the millennium as just a metaphor that describes this reign of Christ throughout history that is that is ongoing even now. Yeah. Um, as he reigns at the right hand of God. So, yeah. yeah. Cool. Okay. And so as we go back now and are maybe prompted to read Revelation, can you give us like some, you talked about this a little bit, but give us some help into how we should be approaching reading that text. So reading it as, <laughs> or you're just laughing yeah. at me now. Yeah. Um, no, no, I'm <laughs> laughing because it's a very, very hard book to read. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, I would just say, I think the best way to read Revelation is to just focus on Jesus. Mm. Um, you know, to not see it as, to not try to figure out, oh, you know, this this thing here and it seems to relate to this event in the Middle East or, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. it relates to mm -hmm. this global power or something. But, I mean, you know, I, I truly believe that, that what John is doing is he is just giving us a portrait of Jesus who is the Lord, who has triumphed over sin and death, and who is coming again. Mm. And if you read Revelation as a, as a portrait of Jesus, mm -hmm. it can actually be a really wonderful read because you see you 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 see Jesus in all of these different um, facets mm. that together are like this glorious mm. diamond. Yeah. Um, so that's what I would encourage people to do is to read Revelation um, as a as a portrait of Jesus. Okay. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I mean, that is not quite as intimidating. Yeah. As... <laughs> yeah. yeah. How yeah, maybe can I attribute doing... meaning yeah. to all of these yes. different symbols that I see in this book, yeah. um, but instead just read it and look for Jesus? Yeah, look for Jesus. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, so I'm starting to see how uh, these different views on Revelation and heaven really permeates everything. Mm -hmm. It permeates... Um, how we think about our future state, how we approach death, but also how we approach our current moment. Yes. Um, yes. So this really has impacts. I mean, li literally, I, I, I'm not um, using that word ironically. Literally yeah. everything. You're using it as it is <laughs> meant to be our, defined. Our literally, work, yes. um, our families, our like how we engage with 
um, creation and right. poor and all of this. Everything. Everything. Yeah. Speak to this. Question. Yeah. So that is a wonderful point. I mean, I, what we believe about our hope will inevitably affect the way we live in the present. Um, so let, let's just talk, for example, um, it, about going back to the dispensationalism and premillennial dispensationalism. Um, that view has had such an enormous impact and influence on the current way that many modern Christians and met many modern fundamentalists and evangelicals have approached what our calling is in the world. Um, so, I mean, and, and you can just, you can sort of imagine this, that if you thought, if you think that the goal, that what Jesus is going to do is he's going to rapture you away so that you are basically evacuated from the mm-hmm. earth, um, and that everything in the current earth is going to just be destroyed, mm-hmm. then then what you actually are rooting for um, is for Jesus that moment to come. You want earth to get worse and worse mm-hmm. and worse. Um, you're looking forward. In fact, a friend of mine told me that um, there were, he remembers in his church growing up, there was a preacher who was talking about how terrible things were, and there were, there was a woman behind him who said, you know, praise God, this the it's the signs of the times Jesus is coming. Oh my and so um, the more, the worse the world gets, the closer you are getting to the moment when the rapture will occur mm. and true Christians will be mm. saved. So of course that affects, that deeply affects the way that you approach yeah. the world. You don't, you, you don't want to actually care for creation. Um, really, really committed dispensationalists are, are opposed to any um, movements that address justice or mm. poverty um, many dispensationalists are opposed to, for example, to the United Nations, um, because they are working for peace and we don't actually want, you know, dispensationalists don't, some, some dispensationalists don't actually want peace because mm. peace actually would delay, um, the coming of Christ, delay the rapture. Um, you know, there's, there's no point in working for the environment, um, because, you know, it's all going to be destroyed. Um, there's huge implications on foreign policy as it relates to Israel, um, because if many dispensationalists view that um, one of the things that has to happen before Christ returns is exclusive possession of the land by ethnic Jews, um, which is one way, again, one way to interpret the book of Revelation, but certainly not the only way. And so you can see this has an enormous impact yeah. on the way that you interact with the present. Um on the other hand, if you believe that our future is a is an embodied material resurrected future and that there is continuity with the new earth, with our current earth, um, then you will deeply care about creation and about the world and about bodies. Mm. Um, I love uh, a quote from uh, Martin Luther. Um, someone said to him, um, what would you do if you knew Jesus was returning tomorrow? And Martin Luther said, I would plant a tree. Oh. <laughs> and of course, yeah. what he means is if, if, if when Jesus comes, when all things will be made new, mm-hmm. just imagine what that tree will be like. Yeah. You know, just think how beautiful trees are now. Mm-hmm. Think about what the trees will be like mm-hmm. when all things are made new. Mm-hmm. You know, contrast that with what Moody said when he said, why polish brass on a sinking ship? Mm. You know, yeah. he said, you know, our only job is to save souls for the rapture. Mm. Um, so don't do anything to to fix up this world or do anything because it's all going to burn up. So mm-hmm. um, actually feels very nihilistic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So so as resurrection Christians, um, we do care about the soul. Mm-hmm. You know, we do preach Jesus and call people to repentance and faith. 
But we also care about bodies. Mm. Um, we care about creation. Um, we care about poverty. We care about justice. Um, we care about our everyday work. Yeah. You know, I love this phrase um, in Revelation 21. It says, the kings of the earth bring their treasures into the new city. Wow. Um, and how, like, that in the new creation, there will be, I mean, Jesus is so generous that there will be um, the treasures of, of culture, mm. you know, that we will bring in the things mm. that Jesus has empowered humans to create. Mm. Uh, and he will just take those things and redeem them and incorporate them into the new creation. That yeah. is an amazing thing. Now, I don't know if that what that means exactly. I don't know if that means that like the Volkswagen Bug or the iPod will be <laughs> in the new creation. I don't really know. Um, but it does mean that there is some degree of continuity between what we do in this present creation and what will be in the next. Mm. And so that means that our work matters. And what we do, not just as pastors and evangelists, missionaries matters, but what you do as a director of communications, what mm-hmm. you do as a mom changing mm-hmm. diapers, what mm-hmm. an architect does, what an artist does, what a yeah. gardener does, that all of these things matter um, because God cares about creation. Yeah. yeah. And I think as we talk about this, I see that um, this view of new creation, there is a harmony between the rest of the story of the Bible. Yes. You know, all of the yes. teachings of Jesus, even the, the creation story in Genesis, like it all seems to work together, yes. whereas I see a discord between uh, the dispensational view and um, the the idea that like you also need to love your neighbor right. and lay your life right. down for them, and that God created the earth and it was good. Yes. Um, yeah. There is discord there yeah. that I'm seeing. Yeah, we talk a lot at third about the four chapter gospel, mm-hmm. uh, which is creation, fall, redemption, consummation, or creation, fall, redemption, new creation. Mm-hmm. Um, and many of us, many many American Christians, we have lived by the two-chapter gospel, just fall and mm-hmm. just chapter two, chapter three, fall and redemption, um, leaving out chapter one and chapter four, creation, new creation. Um, but the story of the Bible is a story not of God um, rescuing souls from the earth, but God reclaiming the earth through his Messiah, Jesus, and restoring all things um, to mm-hmm. the good world that he intended from the start. Um, and that just really changes the way that we live, which yeah. is really beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, we don't have too much time left, but I do want to ask some kind of like random questions here. Um, yeah, we've gotten as, lots of little yeah, questions yeah, uh, lots since of, Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> lots of little yeah. questions. Yeah. So, I mean, I think the first one that most people are thinking, at least I know I am, is what does this mean for death right now? Yeah, um, like before the resurrection. Before like the resurrection, when you die? our loved yeah. ones are, yeah. where yeah. are they? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, I think we've all, I want to approach this with sensitivity um, and gentleness because I, I have... I have found great comfort in the mm. fact that my loved ones right. are in a quote unquote better place. Right. Um, right. And I think we all have. So right. what, is, what right. does this mean for right now? Well, I, you know, I think this is one of those areas where we have to actually, it is actually is the wise and biblical thing to have a healthy agnosticism about it mm. because um, the Bible just isn't crystal clear about this. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what we do know is that when you die and it's before the resurrection of the dead, that you are with Christ. Mm. Um, you know, Paul says in Philippians 1, he says, you know, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which mm-hmm. is better by far. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't know what that means. Um, also, the apostles, Paul and Peter and others, refer to the dead who died in Christ as sleeping. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, again, I don't, I don't know what that means. 
Um, but there does seem to be an intermediate state of some kind um, in which before the resurrection of the dead, you are with Jesus mm. and you are safe, you are secure, mm. you are with him. Um, but I think what's important for Christians to remember is that that is not our final hope. Mm. Um, our final hope is what N.T. Wright calls life after life after death. Um, <laughs> so there is, there, is this, you know, there is life after death in the sense that you die and you are with Christ, but our ultimate hope is life after life after death, mm-hmm. the resurrection, mm-hmm. when all both the dead who died in Christ and all those who are living in Christ uh, will be given transformed bodies, mm-hmm. renewed, and reign with him forever. So yeah, yeah, because I help at all? yeah, does it, that, does, yeah. it does, it yeah. does. And you know, my sister works at a retirement community outside of Harrisonburg, and she's had all of these experiences of these her loved, her beloved um, residents, kind of. Experience almost experiencing tastes of that Mm. comfort and peace. And like she told me recently that there's very often they'll say that they're they're hearing music. Like they can hear Mm. music um, even though the room is silent just right before they pass. And so, and you know, I had an experience with my grandfather where it felt like in his final breath, not it felt like in his final breath, he actually reached upwards towards heaven Mm. and then he passed. And so... I still want to believe that um, that is that is still being called home in a sense, yeah, and that yeah. they are at yeah. peace and with Christ, um, yeah. even if that is not the ultimate right. final step. Yes, in... and we and you know, thank God that we know that because of Jesus, that is true. Yeah. You know that there to be home is to be with Jesus, mm-hmm. and um, when we die, we are with Jesus, um, and then when He returns and raises the dead and transforms mm-hmm. all things, we will. Be with him forever in a in a, in a true creational home. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know we have double hope in some ways. Yeah, we, 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 do. we know there's life after death, but we know there's life after life after death. Yeah, in a, in a resurrection. It's so, a beautiful picture. Yeah, this is a curveball question yeah. that I came up with as yeah. I was sitting here. Um, burial versus cremation. Yes, that's a that's you know um, there's been a lot of debate about that. Um, some Christians are very emphatic that the Christian way to go is burial mm. uh, because it represents the hope of the bodily resurrection. Right. Um, however, um, I don't think that personally, I don't have anything against cremation. Um, I also, you know, I think of the many martyrs throughout the ages oh, right. who have been burned at the stake mm-hmm. or who've mm-hmm. been, uh, you know, you know, destroyed, their bodies have been destroyed mm-hmm. in some ways. I mean, Jesus is Lord and he can, he, he can resurrect yeah. anything. Yeah. So. Yeah. And that was so, kind of where uh, I was thinking. Yeah. But. So, um, uh, so yeah, I think that's something that we can be, yeah. we can give each other grace on. So yeah. what is this, um, in, in the new creation, in my new body, uh, will I look like myself? Do I know how old I will be? Yes. Like, that's very will I interesting. be 29 forever? Yeah. You know, again, these are, these are amazing questions that just, boggle the mind and stretch the limits of our imagination. Um, I don't know. I, you know, um, we see a lot in, by looking at the resurrection body of Jesus. I talked on Sunday about how there's both continuity and discontinuity. Mm -hmm. So there's continuity in the sense that he is the same man, um, with the same personality. Um, there's, you know, like he, he, he had, he still had the scars on his body. So he clearly, there were some aspects of his body before he died that endured into his new resurrected body. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, he was a transformed body. Mm-hmm. Um, he, you know, they, the, the folks seem to have to have a harder time recognizing mm-hmm. him. Mm-hmm. Um, there seemed to be something new about him. Um, he could do things like walk through walls and, mm-hmm. you know, seem to cross 
quickly through <laughs> wrinkle yeah. in time kind yeah. of stuff, you yeah. know? Yeah. <laughs> um, so all I can say, Becca, is that you will be the same person that you are. There will be direct continuity, but there will also be a newness, a, mm. a, a, a transformation to you. Um, mm. You know, one of my, my goddaughter, um, Penny, um, has Down syndrome. And um, one time uh, someone said to her mom, you know, oh, can't, can't you wait until heaven when Penny won't have Down syndrome anymore? Mm. And, um, and, and Amy Julia said, um, what are you talking about? Like mm. her, 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 who she, 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 Down syndrome is part of who she is. She's mm-hmm. part of the beautiful person that she is. So will Penny mm. be no longer have that in the new creation, you know, mm. she, Penny will be who she is. She yeah. will be the beautiful person that she is in the new creation mm-hmm. redeemed. And so, you know, I, I, I don't know. Mm. All I can say is that there will be both yeah. continuity and discontinuity yeah. in the new earth. Yeah. Mm. Um, well, the last maybe funny question, but I think it's very serious is what about our pets? Our pets. I, listen, yes. I mean, everyone on staff knows Wendell. I have when, you, a, Becca has a corgi <laughs> named Wendell. Very yes. dear little animal <laughs> named Wendell. <laughs> and he is yeah. my buddy. And yes, I, and I've grown up with dogs. Yeah. They have been a part of our yeah. families. Um, and in many ways they embody so many good characteristics yeah. of the Lord just yeah. by being who they yeah. are. Yeah. And well, it I... all depends on if Wendell has accepted Jesus as yeah. Lord and Savior. Do you know if he has? <laughs> I <don't> know. <laughs> when I was a kid, I, sh- him. I shared, I shared yeah. the gospel with my dog when I was a kid because I just wanted to be absolutely sure. Yeah. Um, well, I don't know about Wendell, but my dog certainly will be uh, in the new creation. Um, well, you know, that's a, that's a really interesting question because, um, you know, I actually do think there will be... I think we can be most certain that there will be animals mm-hmm. in the new creation because mm-hmm. Isaiah speaks of them, the book of Revelation makes inferences. Um, even if we take the four-chapter story of the, God, of the, of the right. Bible from creation to new creation, part of God's intent in the original creation was that there would be shalom mm. or wholeness or flourishing or peace between not just between men and women, not just between men and women and God, but between men and women and creation itself, the animals mm-hmm. itself. You know, mm-hmm. we see this beautiful... And the earth. And the earth. We see yeah. God, Adam and Eve having this beautiful relationship between the animal cre- between themselves and the animal creation. And so God intends to restore that and mm. redeem that and, you know, restore our relationship with, with animal life. Um, so Wendell might be able to talk so to me I don't know. I don't creation. know. I don't know about when... So again, this is one of those continuity, discontinuity things. I don't know if Wendell will be in the new creation, mm. but if he isn't... Um, I don't think you'll be sad because yeah. there will be, <laughs> yeah. there will be, I know. you know, C.S. Lewis said the very best reason to get a pet is theological because it is a foretaste of the new creation to come when mm. God will again restore all things and the relationship between animals and humans Gosh. will be restored. Thanks, so that, Lewis. Yeah. So that's why I get pets, yeah. you know? <laughs> <laughs> They're a lot of work, but I, yeah. I mean, I've always thought yeah. that like my dogs growing up, like they, they show such kindness and loyalty just by being who they I are. Know, I know, And it's such a beautiful representation of even how God is with us. And maybe that's silly, but yeah. I felt that. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a foretaste of things to come. Yeah. It really is. It's a good relationship. So how did, how did we start with eschatology and end up talking about Wendell? <laughs> <laughs> Everyone should meet Wendell. He is a really delightful he is very creature. Cute. He is very cute. Yes. Alrighty. Well, um, I'm sure that there's more that we could say here and I would love to continue that conversation, but I think we need to close for now. Yes. Um, great conversation. Yeah. Thank Thanks, you. Becca. Thank you, Corey. Um, and we will talk to you guys later. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.